This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, talking about the the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, spent a lot of time, we've got a lot to get through this morning, really, honestly. So um, I was reading through my message last night while watching uh, Bedlam with my family, and uh, I asked them, what is the appropriate length for a sermon? And uh, my daughter told me 20 minutes. I said, you got it. That's messed up, Audrey. Come on. You know, it's not realistic. She was like 25. Like, that's still not enough. She said, well, how long do you plan to preach? I said, well, just let me put it this way, sis. Normally I have seven pages of notes. Tomorrow I have 10 and a half. And her response was, are you kidding me? Um, Which I took as like a statement of faith and excitement that she couldn't wait to come and hear all that God wanted to say to us and through us. And Angie affirmed that was not the case at all. So um, the good news is you're in first service. So I am bound by a hard deadline. Uh, But more than that, we want to make sure at the end that we have time to pray, to experience. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not just, hey, here's a bunch of information. Hope you learn something. It is the spirit is someone that we experience. He is someone that comes and fills our hearts and minds. It changes our lives. And so last week we started by talking about this gift of spirit baptism that Jesus gives to us. And so we, we broke that up. And, and again, we should, this should have been three weeks. We're smashing it into two because Stephen's coming next Sunday. So today we're going to kind of just jump through some, some additional information about spirit baptism. Then we're going to take some time to pray at the end. But uh, I don't want to re-preach last week. But three quick things I want to hit. Actually, four. Spirit baptism is from Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can read those on your own later. Spirit baptism is for you. Acts 2, verse 38. Peter tells us the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then we also want to remember it is salvation first then spirit baptism. So when we're talking about spirit baptism today, we're not talking about are you a Christian or not. We're talking about a subsequent work of the spirit that comes after we've received Christ. So if you're a Christian here, the Holy Spirit already dwells in you. You walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicted you of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who revealed Jesus as your savior. The Holy Spirit is the one who assures you of your salvation. As a Christian, you display the fruit of the Spirit. As a Christian, you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And yet what we saw last week in Acts is Jesus is very, very clear that there is a second experience of the Holy Spirit after we become Christians that is intended to fill us with power to do all that God has called us to do. And so today, this gift of spirit baptism is where our focus is. And what we're going to talk about is the purpose of spirit baptism, we're going to talk about how do we seek spirit baptism and how do we, we, know, we know when we've received spirit baptism. And then we'll hit a few obstacles that some of us have to overcome at the end. So the purpose of spirit baptism, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus tells the disciples and tells us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we learn from Jesus is the primary purpose of spirit baptism is that you will live a life of power. 
Now again, this is separate from salvation. It has nothing to do with your eternal standing or your eternal security. The gift of spirit baptism is a gift for you to live in the fullness of life in the calling God has for you right here and right now. Spirit baptism is this temporary gift that God gives to us while we're here to fill us with the fullness of his power. Now, if you think, I, I don't know if I need that power or not, I would encourage you to consider Jesus' original audience that he says needs power. Gathered with him that day are his 12 disciples who have walked with him. There, there are others who have been around his ministry, others who have supported his ministry, but primarily the disciples, he's looking at them and telling them, you need power. Now, who are the disciples? They were witnesses of his miracles. They had watched him walk on water. They had watched him calm the storms. They had been there when he fed the multitudes with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And then they were the ones who picked up the basketfuls of leftovers at the end. They were the ones who had heard every, every moment of teaching that Jesus had had. They were the ones who got to follow up with him later and say, what did that mean? Because we didn't understand. They were the ones who watched him open the eyes of the blind, open deaf ears, drive out demons. They were the ones who watched him raise the dead. They were witnesses to the crucifixion. They were witnesses to the resurrection. They interacted with Jesus after the resurrection leading up to the ascension. And the disciples, if there was ever anyone in the world who was equipped to tell others about Jesus through their own power, their own experiences, and their own initiative, it would have been those men. And yet Jesus told them, go back to Jerusalem and wait because you need power. And so what, what that means for me and what that means for you today is if Peter and James and John needed power, if Matthew and Mark and Luke needed power, if Thomas and Andrew needed power, I need power. Right? I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to do the things that God has called me to do. And so if you find yourself here this morning thinking, I feel like there is a lack of power in my life, Acts 1-8 is God's promise of, yes, there is, and here's your answer. And then he goes on to tell us it's power to witness. So it's not just power to make you feel better. It's not just power to puff you up compared to other Christians. But the Holy Spirit comes on you in power. And it is first an internal power where you know I have experienced the power and the presence of God in a real, personal, transformational way. I was already a Christian and I already knew it. But now I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and I walk in this new power. And that internal power, Jesus says, will always have an external expression. And the external expression of spirit baptism, we'll, we'll get to the initial sign first, but the, the further proof of spirit baptism is power to witness in word and deed to tell others about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. To live a lifestyle that is congruent with the verbal witness that you proclaim. And Jesus says this power to witness is a power to witness everywhere. The disciples, he tells them it will be for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He covers everything. We don't have time to get into the details of, of what each of those means. But what we want to understand this morning is Jesus says the Spirit's going to come. He's going to give you power, and then you're going to go tell everyone about me everywhere. There is something that happens inside of us when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that we cannot contain it where we are. And also after we've told everyone around us, we then just start looking for other people to tell about it. 
because it is an overflow. It's an abundance of power. Spirit baptism is not just a gift so you can follow Jesus. It's a gift so God can use your life to help others follow Jesus. It puts you on mission. It helps you live with a purpose and it helps you do the things that God is calling you to do. And so again, if you find yourself here this morning thinking, I, I struggle to share my faith or I struggle to live a life that is congruent with the witness I proclaim, you are a follower of Jesus. You have surrendered your life to him, but I would suggest maybe what you're lacking is an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit that will connect your verbal witness with the lifestyle you live and you will walk in power. Right? And that power helps you resist temptation. That power keeps you on task and on mission. That power inspires your words in every season and situation. And that power always pushes you past your natural circles of comfort and your national, natural circles of influence into others who are around you. And then Jesus says it's, it's power to witness everywhere and it's power to witness for everyone. As he tells them to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, what you see the disciples do is they, they go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and they preach the gospel of who Jesus is, and people are saved, and they come into the kingdom. And then, as we'll see this morning as we walk through some of these stories in Acts, the apostles always also pray for them to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the gift was never restricted to Jerusalem. The gift was never restricted to the apostles. It was never restricted to the day of Pentecost or the 120 gathered in the upper room. It was never restricted to the early church. It was never restricted to the church leaders. It was never restricted to the missionaries and the evangelists. But every man, woman, and child who says yes to Jesus Christ has been invited now to receive this gift of spirit baptism that fills them with power to do all that God calls them to do everywhere that God calls them to go. This is the purpose of spirit baptism. And then the, the question some of us ask is, well, do I need spirit baptism? Right? And, and that question sometimes comes from various forms of discomfort. Maybe the, the idea is new to you. And so as, as we looked at last week, I would say, first of all, yes, you do. You need spirit baptism because Jesus commanded it. Right? And, and anytime Jesus commands, our job is not to negotiate. Our job is to submit. And so when he says, hey, you, you need to wait until you receive this, we're just going to wait until we receive this. And we're going to ask him for it. Now, now, if you say, but I haven't received it, am I somehow less of a Christian? No, 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 not in any way. And if you've been told otherwise, I'm sorry, but it's just, it's not true. Right? If you have not received spirit baptism, you still belong to Jesus. You, you can still be used by him. You can still share your faith with others, right? When it comes to this idea of spirit baptism, one of the objections sometimes will get thrown at us by, by other, other corners of the church is, well, what about Billy Graham? Billy Graham never said he was spirit baptized. And, and I would say, uh, as far as I know, he didn't. And I would also say, you're probably not Billy Graham. I'm not Billy Graham. God had a special anointing on his life. He gifted him, he empowered him. And the fact that Billy Graham did awesome things without ever acknowledging he had pursued spirit baptism doesn't give you a reason to disobey the clear command of Jesus that you are supposed to sp pursue spirit baptism. Right, so, so instead of looking for, for off ramps, let's just look for obedience. And let's look for ways to just say, Lord, what do you want to do in me? It's not about my grandma who always said she wasn't sure about this, but she loved Jesus and made quilts for orphans and did all the other. God bless your grandma. What about you? 
Will you be obedient? Will you acknowledge I need power? And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I have all the power I need to do all that God has called me to do. I would encourage you, ask God for bigger dreams for your life. Ask God for a bigger vision. Ask him to stretch you to the point that you can't do the things he's calling you to do. My, my grandpa was a, a farmer out in western Oklahoma and had uh, 16 grandkids. And so he, uh, one of his goals was to make sure that all 16 of us knew how to drive a, a standard transmission. So he, he had this old 1971 Ford F100. Uh, it was all rusted out. You could, you could see through the floorboards. Uh, it was called Greeny. And so Greeny was my grandpa's tool to teach all of us how to drive. And so he'd take us out and there were no power steering. Uh, when we first started driving it, there were brakes. By the end, there were no brakes anymore. <clears throat> And he would tell, like, he'd teach us. And then at times he'd tell us, like, hey, Chris, uh, you came in from, from the city. Uh, why don't you take your, your sister, take your cousins out there and go uh, just check the cows out by the back pond. And, and so, I, you know, little 12-year-old me, I can barely turn that big wheel. And, and, and he's saying, oh, and by the way, the brakes don't work anymore, so just be sure you slow down coming into the house. And, and he's telling us all of these kind of things, but, but we learned to drive on it. A couple years ago, my, my grandpa died, and my dad, in a, a moment of weakness and nostalgia, decided that he wanted to have Greeny restored. And so he hauled it back to Florida where he lives, and he has a buddy down there, and, and his buddy tackled it, and they, they ripped out all the, the floorboards, and they did away with all the rust, and they got the engine running again. And, and then this summer, it was, it was restored to a, a version that I had never seen. It looked good. The paint is pretty. It's, it doesn't smell like rat poop inside it anymore. Like there, there's all kinds of things. The, the bed of the truck is solid. You can't see through as you ride in the back. Uh, all, all sorts of things. And, and yet, the one thing my dad didn't do, the guy asked him, do you want me to put power steering in it? And my dad said, no, I want it original. I want to give my grandkids the same experience that their parents had. Well, my dad had shoulder surgery a, a couple months ago. So now he can't drive the truck at all. And so he, he had it hauled up here. And so it's, it's at my house right now. And every time I drive it, I get mad at my dad. I looked it up. It was about six to $800 to add power steering to it. I would have enjoyed it. When I back it out of my driveway and I almost clipped the little teenage girl's car that parks in the street all the time, I wish six, $800, dad, why not add power steering? When my kids want to drive it, I, I'm trying to find the widest, most open roads I can. Drove it to work. One of our staff members was like, let me take it around the parking lot. I said, have you ever driven a car without power steering? They're like, what's that? And okay. Uh, so we found a big open space where they could do it. And, and here's the thing, the power steering doesn't make it less of a truck, right? That lack of power steering doesn't do anything. You can still drive it. You can get everywhere you need to go. You can do everything you need to do. But with just that little investment, it's so much more enjoyable. It's so much more effective. It's better for me and it's better for others. And I, I would submit to you this morning that spirit baptism can be viewed in much the same way. You can try to do everything God has called you to do without his promised gift of spirit baptism. And you probably will get quite a bit of it done through your own determination or just through the grace of God who wants to see his kingdom advance in your life. But when you willfully reject the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, you are making your life more difficult than it has to be. You are making your 
yourself less effective in sharing the gospel with others. And when we refuse the gifts of Jesus, it doesn't just kind of put a a damper on our life and our effectiveness, but it also hinders the power of the gospel to go out quickly among those that we're called to. And then when we do share the gospel with them, we're also telling them, now there's this other gift, but I've never received it. Maybe you want to look into it, maybe not. And we're setting them up on this constant path of wondering if this is really for them or not. When all the scripture says, you say yes to Jesus, and then you ask him for the gift of the Holy Spirit that he promised. And when you do that, you receive power, and you can be his witness. And so, so what I want to do is, as quickly as I possibly can, is I want to walk you through a couple examples in the book of Acts of the, the New Testament church experiencing this gift of spirit baptism. And we're going to ask two questions. First, we're going to ask, how do I seek spirit baptism? So if this is something God is working in your life and you're thinking, this is what I want, we're going to look to the scriptures and say, well, how do I seek it? How do I go after it? Right? In the same way that salvation, there's a very clear plan. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So also a spirit baptism, we see some very clear examples of if this is what you want, this is how you experience it. And then we're going to ask, how do I know when I've received it? We're going to walk back through those same scriptures. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts. We will start in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to work through about five passages, and then we're going to come back and work through the same five passages again. So how do I seek spirit baptism? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so what we see in the initial response to this gift of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit comes in an an outpouring. He just pours his power, pours his presence out on a group of people who are gathered together. And so, so what have the disciples done? What have those 120 in the upper room, what have they done to seek spirit baptism? Well, Jesus has, has told them to wait, and so they've went back to Jerusalem and they've waited. There have been 10 days that have passed since Jesus ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost when the Spirit falls. We don't know exactly what they did, but it is likely that a group of devout Jewish people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are gathered together on a holy day would have been praying, would have been worshiping, would have been studying the scriptures. But all we really know for sure from Acts chapter 2 is that the first people to seek spirit baptism were together and they were obedient and they were willing to wait. And they were just going to wait until they knew they had received the gift that Jesus had promised. As you move into Acts chapter 8, you begin to see the gospel spreading. It's going to Samaria, and it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 8, we see a different model. This time, it is not a group of believers gathered together in a room, praying, waiting, and seeking. Instead, what we see is a group of new believers who receive those in a position of authority who come and begin to teach them. And as they begin to teach them, they teach them about the Holy Spirit. They teach them about this gift from Jesus. And then there comes a moment, it seems, where Peter and John begin to pray for the Spirit to come. And they place their hands on those who have not yet received the Spirit. And they receive the Spirit. 
So sometimes we're gathered together and we're praying as in Acts chapter 2. Other times as in Acts chapter 8, we are following Jesus and somebody comes to us and says, have you received this gift of the Holy Spirit? And they tell us about it and then they place their hands on us. And, and when we say, that's what I want, they pray for us and we will be filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 9 verse 17, we find the story of Saul who becomes Paul. It says, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we have a different example. This time it's just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Saul is not in a worship service. Saul is not waiting on the gift of the Holy Spirit. Saul is not actively seeking the Holy Spirit in any way. But in a moment of one-on-one -on -one discipleship, a mature, spirit-filled believer comes to another new believer and says, Hey, God sent me so that you can receive the Spirit. And he places his hands on him. And, and from what we see in the rest of Paul's life, it appears at that moment, Paul receives the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, we find Peter taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So again, this is, this is somewhat of a combination of what happens in Acts chapter 2 and what happens in Acts chapter 8. You have a group of believers who are gathered together. They're seeking the Lord. And it seems even as Peter is explaining this gift of the Holy Spirit, they get saved while Peter is still preaching. And then they get filled with the Holy Spirit while Peter is still preaching. So in this case, it's another outpouring of the Spirit where the Spirit doesn't wait for the altar call. He just does it right there in the middle of the service. Right? And, and, and so sometimes we can have these forms and formulas of this is how the Spirit works and this is how the Spirit moves. But what we begin to see in the story of Acts is there's a few similarities from point to point. But over and over again, what we really see is the Spirit pours out this gift of Spirit baptism when he pleases in ways that he chooses among his people. And then as you flip over to Acts chapter 19, the last one we'll look at, it says, uh, this is Paul in Ephesus. It says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So one last time, someone who has received the Spirit teaches others about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit, then places his hands on them to pray, and they also receive the Spirit. Now what's worth noting here is that Paul is the one who goes and places his hands, and they receive the Spirit. And Paul was not one of the, those that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And so, so what it means is it's not just a, a pastor kind of privilege. It's not just a, a first-generation apostle kind of privilege. But anyone in whom Jesus Christ dwells and anyone who has received this gift of spirit baptism has the invitation from the Lord to teach other believers about it, to place your hands on them and pray for them, and they can receive the Spirit through your ministry and your prayers with with them. Right? I mean, you, you can just kind of see it. It's the day of Pentecost. We don't know if Ananias was there or not, but perhaps he wasn't. And then he's the one who prays for Paul. And then Paul prays for the men in Ephesus. And then the men in Ephesus keep going. And over and over and over again, we see this pattern occurring. So from, from these accounts in the book of Acts, it seems that people receive spirit baptism when their lives are surrendered to Jesus. 
So if you're saying, I want to seek spirit baptism, what does that look like? Well, just a, a couple of things to remember. First of all, you have to surrender your life to Jesus. You will not receive this gift of spirit baptism unless you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's always your first place. If you are living in active sin, if you're living in open opposition to the Father, you don't come saying, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. You come saying, forgive me and give me new life. And then from that point, as a follower of Jesus, now this door of spirit baptism is open to all of you. The second thing that we see in the scriptures is we want to learn about spirit baptism. We want to learn what the scriptures teach about spirit baptism. So my encouragement to anyone that this idea is ever new to is not to pick up a book, it's to pick up the Bible. There's lots of books that have been written telling you why spirit baptism is for you. There's lots of books that have been written telling you why spirit baptism is not for you. But there's one book that's been written to all of us that is our authority for life, faith, and practice. And that's where we want to start. And so just go to the scriptures and say, Lord, what, what does this teach? Is this gift for me? And then just begin to seek spirit baptism. Begin to ask the Lord to minister. Begin to ask the Lord to release this gift in your life. And just trust Jesus. Spirit baptism is not something that I can give to you. It's not something that another believer can give to you. We can pray for you. We can believe that God is working. But ultimately, Jesus is the one who promised this gift. Jesus is the baptizer. And so when you're coming to ask for this gift of spirit baptism, you're just coming to ask Jesus, I just I want to receive everything you have for me. And you can do that from a position of trust. You can do that from a position of peace. And you can do that believing that God will release his gifts in your life, in his way, in his time. So if the scriptures teach us that spirit baptism is a gift, if the scriptures show us suggestions for how we seek spirit baptism, and, and I hope what you saw there in Acts is you can seek and receive spirit baptism in a setting like this. You can seek and receive spirit baptism when you're on your own. You can seek and receive spirit baptism with another believer. It can be in a large setting. It can be in a small setting. It can be the first time you hear about it. It could be after a while of learning about it. It doesn't really matter. It could be an extended season of seeking. It could be almost instantaneous with your salvation. All that matters is God gives it when he wants to give it. And it's our job to seek it. And so if the scriptures show us it's a gift and here's how you seek it, then it makes sense they would also let us know, how do I know when I've received this gift? And so again, well, let's, let's walk back through. So Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So three things happen on the day of Pentecost. There's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There are, another translation says, pillars of fire. And so, so some visible sign of flames that hover above each other's heads. I mean, that would be cool if that was still the sign, right? Like that would be pretty hard to deny. Um, and, and yet, what we see as we work through Acts is those two first signs do not continue. So, so there's not another instance of this mighty rushing wind. There's not another instance of these pillars of fire. But this last one, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That supernatural sign is the one that we see occurring later in Acts. And it's also the sign that gets the attention of the gathered crowd that, on that day of Pentecost. It's a sign that something supernatural has happened. And it's initially misunderstood, but then Peter uses it as an opportunity to proclaim what has happened. But what we see is there's a supernatural verbal sign confirming the supernatural arrival of the Spirit to give power for a verbal commission of sharing the gospel. Acts chapter 8, verse 17, we see a similar 
instance, it says, And Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given on at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said to them, Give me also this ability, so everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive this Spirit. Now, nothing ex explicitly is mentioned here of what sign gets Simon's attention. And yet, if, if you read the context of Acts chapter 8, what you find is Simon is a sorcerer. He's a, uh, a holy man in his community. And he has made his living by displaying some form of connection with the supernatural. We don't know all that it means, but we know Simon is probably one that people in his community came to and they would pay to try to get them divine favor, to try to get them divine direction. And so now when Simon is confronted by the gospel and by Jesus Christ, and particularly by the arrival of spirit baptism, when Peter and John lay their hands on these new believers and they receive spirit baptism, there is some outward supernatural sign that occurs that causes the sorcerer to say, can I pay you for that? Because I would really like that ability. Like he thinks Peter and John have come to town with the coolest party trick he's ever seen. He is building the addition to his house in his mind as he witnesses what they're doing. And so we're not told exactly in the scriptures what had happened, but it seems that there was something external and obvious that occurred when they were baptized in the Spirit. And it was a sign not only to those who had received, it was a sign to those who had prayed for them, and it was also a sign to the world around them that something supernatural had happened. Acts chapter 9, we go back to the conversion of Saul. So he's been converted on the road to Damascus. Now he's blind and he's seeking the Lord on his own in a home. And the Lord sends Ananias, another believer, to him. It says, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So again, in this passage, there's nothing explicitly mentioned about what happens when the Holy Spirit arrives. And yet, there's some conclusions that I think we can comfortably make. First of all, God sends Ananias to Saul for two purposes. So that he will be healed, and he will receive the Holy Spirit. Now it says that he's blind, so he prays, and something like scales falls from his eyes. And so we know, obviously, Paul is healed in this moment. But he's also come to pray that he will receive the Holy Spirit. But all we're told is the scales fall from his eyes. He got up, he gets something to eat, and he's baptized. And so we're, we're left to assume, and I think safely assume, that in that prayer, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if he was not, Ananias probably would have prayed for him some more. right? And Luke probably would have told us that story. But we're not left just to assume from that passage. But as you read the 13 letters in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul writes, what you find again and again and again is him testifying to an ongoing supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit in his life. You find him encouraging the churches that he planted and the churches that he oversaw to pursue the supernatural gifts of the Spirit individually and collectively. We find Paul telling the Corinthians church, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul embraced the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And, and so throughout Acts, we, we, even though we don't get the full story, we can feel confident that when Ananias lays his hands on Paul, Paul is healed and Paul receives this gift of spirit baptism. Once again, in Acts chapter 10, we find a more explicit mention of how we know. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. 
For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And so two signs here that get the attention of the church leaders is that the Spirit has come on Gentiles, and we know it, because they're speaking in tongues and they're praising God. And, and so again, the, the one that recurs in Acts 2 and again in Acts 10 is they speak in other tongues. So it's the second time that spirit baptism is correlated with the Spirit is poured out and they begin to speak in other tongues. Again, a supernatural verbal sign that announces the arrival of a supernatural presence of the Spirit to give you power to be a verbal witness for Jesus. And then one last time in Acts chapter 19, verse 6 and 7. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So in Ephesus, Paul encounters a group of spiritual seekers. He leads them to Jesus. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit. He lays his hands on them and prays for them to receive this gift of spirit baptism. They receive it and says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So two verbal signs. One that has recurred now for the third time in the story of the early church. So from the accounts of the early church, we see five instances where the Spirit is poured out. We see three instances where the only recurring gift is this speaking in other tongues. And so what we are left to conclude is we can confidently, comfortably conclude that the normal experience of Spirit baptism is accompanied by a supernatural experience of speaking in tongues. And, and I get that for some of us, you're like, I was in until that. Not doing that. That's weird. I don't know why I would have taken the fire. I would have taken prophecy. I would have taken a mighty rushing wind. I would have taken literally any other thing in the world. I would have stood on my head and done handstand walks around the sanctuary. I would have walked backwards. I would have barked like a dog. Well, maybe not that, but I would have done anything. But speaking in tongues, that's such a weird, weird thing. Why would God choose something like that? And, and so what I, I want to suggest is just a, a few things for you. First of all, the gift of tongues seems to be the most common scriptural evidence of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason for that is, is it's the normal practice in the early church. It's what we see happening again and again. And really, it's just a supernatural sign of a supernatural gift. And so if you're saying, Lord, will you inspire my speech? It makes sense that God would show you, hey, I can inspire your speech. Watch this. Now, again, in, in our setting, which is more anti-supernatural, which is a little more, I don't know about that kind of stuff, right? We have to teach this in a way. Like if I was teaching this in Burundi this morning, what I would say is the scriptures say when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, many of you will speak in tongues and be like, okay, let's pray. That's the end of the conversation. But in America, we have to stop and be like, I know you're uncomfortable. I kind of am too. But just for a moment, will you think with me of what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian means that you believe in the virgin birth. You believe a woman got pregnant without having sex. To be a Christian means you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. You've never lived a sinless 10 minutes. You believe he lived in a sinless, you believe he was tempted in every way just as you are yet was without sin. You believe that he offered himself as a perfect and final sacrifice for your sins. You believe that he died and was buried. You believe that he laid in a tomb for three days, dead as nails. 
You believe that on the third day, an angel rolled the stone away and Jesus walked out of that tomb. You believe that he spent 40 days instructing the the disciples that he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Beyond that, you believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, bringing life to your mortal body. You believe that God inspired the scriptures and they have been inerrant from that day to this day. You believe that God still speaks and leads and guides. You believe that God heals and delivers and provides. You believe that in every place you lack, God is sufficient. You believe that in every area you are weak, God is strong. And then he says, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to speak in other tongues. You're like, that's too far. I can't go there. And and so now I I do want to be cautious and careful with you, because what I believe the scriptures teach is this is the normal experience of spirit baptism. And so at Christian Chapel, we're not going to make anything absolute that the scriptures are not absolute about. It would be much easier if if Jesus had said, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you will speak in tongues as the initial physical evidence, but he doesn't say it. But we're given five accounts, three times we see it, two other times it seems reasonable to infer that that's what happened. And so our only job is to come and say, Lord, I just want to receive the gift of spirit baptism, and if that's the sign you choose to give me, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to participate in it. And so, so I've had friends over the years who've come to me and told me, I am sure that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I've never spoken tongues. And my response is always, God bless you, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet what I, what I see in the scriptures, what I've experienced in my life, what I've seen over and over and over again now in almost two decades of ministry is the vast majority of people that I have prayed with, talked to, and heard their stories is when they receive the gift of spirit baptism, they speak, pray, worship in a tongue, a language they do not know. Now, we're not seeking that gift of like, hey, I just, so I guess I just got to speak in tongues to be like a super Christian. That's, that's not it at all. You're just seeking the gift. And in seeking the gift, you humble yourself and you say, Lord, if, if you want to do it, just have your way in my heart, have your way in my life. In the same way that you don't get to get saved with conditions. Jesus, I'll follow you, but I'm going to hold out this last 5%. You don't receive spirit baptism with conditions. You don't get to come and tell the Lord, I'll take it, but on my terms. I'll take it, but with the gift of my choosing. I'll take it, but only when I'm by myself, because I don't want anyone else to see that happen. We're just coming and saying, Lord, if this is your gift, I know what I need. I need power. And I need a supernatural power. I need a power that is undeniable. And if that's what you need, that's what God will give to you. So real quick, just a a couple of common obstacles, two of them, I think, external, two of them internal. The first obstacle some of us face to spirit baptism is confusion. You just, we've been taught in one way or another that that gift ceased with the apostles. I don't know your church background. I'm not trying to come at your favorite pastor. I'm not trying to pick a fight with your grandpa. Uh, But this is a, a common theme that we've seen, particularly in the Western church. I would say actually almost exclusively in the Western church, within the last hundred years is this idea that the gifts of the spirit and spirit baptism stopped in the first hundred years of the church. And, and yet what we see, if you read church history, is in the early church, in the early church father, in the medieval period, throughout the Reformation, there are always pockets, windows, and waves of the Holy Spirit working and moving among his people with supernatural signs and wonders. And so there may be times and places where that waxes and wanes, but it has never stopped and it has never been eliminated. 
And, and the idea that spirit baptism and the gifts of the spirit is not for today, it has a very shaky foundation on between two and four scriptures and is really built to support a lack of that experience in our life. And so what I would submit is that any person from any cultural background, if they come to the scriptures with an open mind, would never conclude that the gifts of the Spirit were restricted to the apostles who wrote the scriptures. But what they would see again and again and again is an invitation to a life full of the Spirit, commands from Jesus to walk in the Spirit, churches that display the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, and they would conclude, well, I think what happened then is what's still supposed to be happening now. There aren't really any other aspects of the New Testament church that we have decided that doesn't exist anymore. And, and yet, for some reason, we've applied it. And, and really, honestly, the reason we've applied it is because we're looking for scriptural justification for our anti-supernatural bias that we've been given by the culture around us. And, and just in case we're unclear, we are to be discipled by the scriptures and the spirit, not by the culture in which we live. And so, so this is our job, just to say, okay, Lord, that's, that's what it is. Now, now, some of us, we, our obstacle is fear. Because you've just seen some weird stuff happen in churches that emphasize the Holy Spirit. You've seen some excesses. And, and I've been there. Like, I've seen well-intentioned believers who have experienced transformation in Jesus Christ, who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And what they really want is for you to experience the same thing. But they, they take on too much pressure on themselves. And instead of just staying anchored in the scriptures and saying, Jesus says to ask, so ask. They start to build in all these other things of why you need it and why you have to chase it and why you need to pursue it. And, and then you start to hear nonsense. Like if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You start to hear things like if you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. You start to hear things like, well, if you're okay being a second class Christian, just keep doing that. And none of that is true. All right, some of you, maybe you've heard at times that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will never sin again. And, and you know, you just know that's not true. And, and I would say, just read, just read the Gospels. Peter's baptized in the Holy Spirit and then has to be rebuked by Paul later. Peter sinned again after he had that. Right? I've received the Spirit. Many of you have received the Spirit. And you still fight against temptation. You still struggle against your flesh and blood. You still struggle against supernatural attacks of the enemy. It, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not proof that you'll never struggle again. It's proof that you'll have all the power you need in every struggle you face. And so don't let the misuse or the abuse of others keep you from the promises that Jesus has for you. And then for many of us, and in, in, in conversations I have, this is probably the most common one. It's just pride. You know, pride just blocks. It doesn't, your pride doesn't necessarily block the Spirit from being poured out on you. But your pride blocks you from pursuing or seeking the opportunity for the Spirit to be poured out on you. When Jesus commands them to go back in Jerusalem and wait, only those who go back to Jerusalem and wait receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There are others who went back to their homes. There are others who went back to their businesses. There are others who went back to doing the things that they wanted to do. And, and so for some of us, it's a pride of, oh, I don't want to admit my weakness. Sometimes it's a pride of, well, if the Holy Spirit comes with a supernatural sign, that, that seems kind of embarrassing or humiliating. I'm not sure that I want that. But the, there has to come a point in all of our lives to surrender to Jesus is to surrender your pride and to ask for the gift of spirit baptism is to surrender your pride. And just to say, Lord, I want your best more than I care about what other people think of me. And so I'm just going to come. And, and I would invite you, as we, as we talked about last week, to remember that God is a loving father who gives good gifts to his children. He's not looking to embarrass you, to shame you, to humiliate you. He's not looking to, to do anything but fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And then, then for some of us, the, the last obstacle we face is just one of frustration. You have heard about the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have pursued the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe you've concluded it's not actually a gift for everyone. It's a gift for everyone else but you. And you've heard the lies of the enemies about of why that's happening. You don't have enough faith. You've got that sin. You won't get past. You've got that. I mean, but, but just hear me today. The Holy Spirit is not waiting on you to become a pure and worthy vessel before he pours his spirit out on you. He's waiting for you to surrender to Jesus. And once you surrender to Jesus, whatever else you're struggling with, he wants to baptize you in the power of his Holy Spirit to bring you power to overcome that. He's not saying when you're good enough, then I'll give you the power you need to do that. But until then, good luck saying, I'll, I'll give it all to you right now. And so if, if you have been in a season of seeking, or maybe you have been seeking and you've given up, my encouragement to you is what we see in the scriptures, those who seek, receive. And what we see in church history is some are filled immediately. Some it's a little more intermediate. Some it's a, an extended season of seeking and asking. But I, in my life, I have never met anyone that pursued spirit baptism on a frequent basis and did not receive it. I've met people who sought it for all kinds of different time frames and periods. I've met people who sought it and gave up on it. People who sought it, gave up on it, and then began to argue against it. But I've never met someone who continually came to the Lord in a position of humility and surrender and said, Lord, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit who has not received this gift of spirit baptism? And my prayer for us at Christian Chapel is that we will just continually put ourselves in a position to receive all that God has for us. Right? I'm, not, I'm not trying. Like I, I told you last week, I believe we're, we're nearing our 50-year anniversary. And I believe we're on the verge of writing our next great chapter in our church history. And that will be a chapter defined by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who makes much of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who brings freedom from everything that binds us. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers your words. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers your actions. It's the Holy Spirit who enables you to be a witness. It's through the work of the Spirit in your life that your family will be saved. It's through the work of the Spirit in your life that your neighbors will be saved. It's through the work of the Spirit in your life that you will see a revival in your offices, in your classrooms, in your schools. As a church, we're not striving to say what programs, ministries, or initiatives can we start. We're, we're beginning from a position of saying, Lord, we, you've been with us by the power of your spirit for 50 years. And in this next 50, we need the power of your spirit once again. And we don't just need it in our pastors, and we don't just need it in our deacons. We need it in every man, woman, teenager, and child who attends and participates in Christian chapel. And we're not going to keep it for ourselves, but as we tell people about Jesus, we're also going to invite them into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to preach our experiences, and we're not going to preach the, the finer points of our denomination, but we're just going to say, here's what the scripture says. And if you would like that gift, can I pray for you? And as I pray for you, as you pray for others, what we believe is they're going to receive the Spirit just as we have. And they're going to be filled with power to do all that God has called them to do. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us this morning. We bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we come to you today. And we acknowledge individually and as a church, we want to submit to your authority and we want to receive all that you have promised to us. So Holy Spirit, will you come in these moments? If there's anyone in this room or online who's not surrendered their life to Jesus, Lord, our, our first prayer is that right now they would confess 
with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They would believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead and they will be saved right now in this moment. If you've never done that, you can just pray that prayer of Jesus, will you forgive me? I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you rose from the dead and I wanna walk with you. And in that moment, you move from death to life, from darkness to light. Now for the rest of us, we're just gonna take a moment and we're gonna practice what we see in the early church. If you're, if you're comfortable, will you just reach and put your hand on the shoulder of the person standing next to you or the person in front of you? And I know some, some of you have received the spirit. Some of you are seeking the spirit. But in this moment, we're just gonna ask Jesus to release that gift of spirit baptism among us. And so if you've received it, I want you just to begin to pray that those you're placing your hands on will receive for the first time a powering presence of the Holy Spirit or they'll receive a renewal of it. Just begin to, to lift your voice where you are. If you've never received that and you feel like that's something the Lord is leading you to, just begin to verbally, begin to open your mouth and say, Lord, will you give me the gift of your Holy Spirit? Jesus, will you come and baptize us in your power once again? Lord, we come as individuals, we come as a church, and we invite you to release the power of your Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, I pray for every man, every woman, every teenager, every child who's in the room with us right now. If they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we believe the scriptures teach that your plan is to baptize them in the power of your Holy Spirit. So Jesus, we come in simple obedience and humble faith, asking that you would release the gift of your Holy Spirit in the lives of individuals this morning. Lord, we pray for the person on our right, for the person on our left. May they experience the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you see the obstacles, you see their doubts, you see their questions, you see their faith, and you see their desire. Jesus, we pray that right now your Holy Spirit would descend in personal and powerful ways. Spirit, will you come and fill us with your power, power to be your witnesses, power to live for you, power to experience all that you have called us to do. Lord, I pray for those who have experienced this gift and yet it has, it has laid dormant in their hearts and their minds. Today, Holy Spirit, will you come in a fresh wave? Will you come with a fresh move? Will you come in a new personal and powerful way? Will you come and remind us that your power is not restricted by our circumstances, that your power is not intimidated by our difficulties? Holy Spirit, will you come in these moments and baptize us in your power? Will you come and release all that Jesus has for us so that we can experience it and walk in it together? I encourage you, just begin to pray those prayers of faith for those around you. Holy Spirit, release your power. Holy Spirit, come in your might. Holy Spirit, accomplish all that you want to do in us and among us. We surrender to you. Will you forgive us of our pride? Jesus, we lay it before you and we come in humble surrender, dedicating ourselves to seek the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit until we know that we know that we know we have received it. So God, will you release that gift? Will you release it with confirmation? Will you release it in a way that we have no doubt that we have received it? Holy Spirit, will you come? Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.